Good morning, Oak Crest. It's a blessing to be with you this morning. A couple of things to uh, bring to your attention before I share some thoughts. First of all, do you notice anything different about me? Thank you. I'm much more handsome than usual. I appreciate that. So I have a much larger name tag uh, here this morning than I typically do, and I'm doing that for a reason. Uh, one of the things that this church family said it wants to do is to be more friendly to those that are visiting or those that are new to this church family. And it's a bit of an odd dynamic because for so many of you, you've worshipped here for many years and you have known so many people here for decades. And for you, it's easy. But for others like myself or folks that have just come to join this church family, it's a little harder to, to know everyone's name and to feel a part of things. And so uh, the shepherds and others thought, you know, it might be an interesting thing to try to say, hey, we're going to make a, a name tag like this for everybody. And we're going to make them available to you after the first of the year. And we're going to invite you when you come to worship here on Sunday morning uh, to just put this on. So that way people can know you because it's surprising how many people kind of know who someone is but aren't quite sure of their name. And so that becomes an inhibition to this church family getting to know one another in the way that they could. And so after the new year, out at the information desk in the breezeway, we're going to have uh, these available to you. And we're not going to force anybody to wear name tags. You know, the shepherds are not going to come around like the police and say, hey, where's your name tag? Um, although if you want to put a little peer pressure on your friends, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but take all of this in the spirit it's intended. It's just a way to try and honor what we see in New Testament Christianity, which are brothers and sisters in Christ rejoicing with one another and bearing burdens and getting to know one another more closely than just that person who sits over there or that wonderful person that sits behind me two pews. And so we'll invite you to do that again, not this Sunday or the next couple, but after the new year, we'll make these available to you. Second thing I just wanted to say before I start this morning is to remind you that we're super excited about what's happening next Sunday. Um, after a couple of years gone because of the COVID pandemic, we're bringing back the annual Christmas program, the Christiane Anderson Spears. And part of this uh, stage behind me is a portion of that program. We're excited about that because it's an opportunity to show off our kids and also to bring a pretty inspiring and positive message at the holiday season. It's exciting for me in particular because it's titled How the Grinch Found Christ at Christmas. And I happen to be a big fan of the Grinch. Uh, well, the television program, not the Grinch himself. Uh, I'm kind of partial to the little dog in that particular cartoon. But we hope you'll join us next Sunday uh, to be a part of that program, uh, which will be folded into our worship service. We are excited about that. And one reason we're excited about that is because it's coming Maybe you realize this, maybe you didn't. It's coming. <laughs> Today is the 11th of December, and that means in 14 days, Christmas will arrive. You probably figured that out from what's behind me on the stage and what's going on out there beyond these walls. It's exciting. Uh, when I was a kid, I was one of those people that got excited about Christmas, as most kids do. And one reason for that is because when I was a kid, I had this calendar-type thing. It's technically called an advent calendar. It's one of those things where each day of the month of December, you open up these little doors on this large poster thing, and behind that little door on the 1st of December was a little picture of some kind, an angel, a snowflake, or a wise man, or something like that, angels, shepherds, and on the 2nd of December, and the 3rd, and the 4th, and the 5th, you just open these doors, and the countdown was on until the 25th. 
In fact, my wife and I had one of these for each of our kids as they grew up, although theirs was better than mine, because with theirs, when you opened up the little window, there was a small piece of milk chocolate in there. And I thought, well, boy, I, I got gypped when I was a kid. I got a picture of a magi or a snowflake. And in full confession, I may have occasionally eaten a small piece of chocolate that my kids didn't eat when they opened that up each morning. But at Christmas, there's this big countdown to the big event. In fact, if you come to our home, you'll notice in our kitchen is a plaque that has one of those changeable days where each day you change the number of days until Christmas. And my wife, because she loves Christmas so much, has been doing that for years. That's how I happen to know that it's two weeks from today. At Christmas is one of those things that we with anticipating, we look forward to because there's so much going on. As the song says, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. But that's not how it was the first time this event rolled around. You see, when Jesus was born, there wasn't this great sense of anticipation. In fact, it was quite the opposite. You know, when you read your Bible, you open it up, and you look at the Old Testament, and you get to the end of it, and Malachi ends. And if your Bible's like mine, there's just this one page that says New Testament. Then you flip the page, and there's Matthew, all ready to go. Well, historically, there were about 400 years between the time Malachi was written, when that message of God was given to Malachi, and when Jesus was born. 400 years. That's a long time. And in those 400 years, people were waiting anxiously for God to do something. In particular, in the time right before Jesus' birth, a lot of God's people were living a pretty difficult life. The infant mortality rate was incredibly high. Three out of every four babies didn't see the first birthday. The time in which what led up to Jesus' birth was a time when the Jewish individuals, they lived under Roman occupation. They were not treated well. Life was hard, was difficult for anybody, but in particular for God's people. And so God's people, for over 400 years, they waited, and they hoped, and they prayed that God would do something. And I think a lot of those people had to wonder, does God even care about us? Does God even notice what's going on in my life at this point? Is God going to do anything? And although that was a long time ago, I have to believe it's not all that different from many of us today. You know, I talk to a lot of emerging adults, a lot of people that are in their 20s, and they have these secret, oftentimes not shared doubts about God or about church or about the Bible. And they feel like they can't talk to anybody about it. They just want God to help them through their doubts. And sometimes they talk to me about it, but they want God to do something in their life. There are so many spouses that want their marriage to be better or they want to be a better spouse in their marriage and they want God to help them do that but it's just not happening yet there's so many churches out there even in this metro area that are slowly dying and the people that are still there just want to put a stop to that but they don't know how and they pray about it and they want God to do something about it but it's just not happening and you might have noticed that uh, the scourge of the COVID 19 pandemic is still in our midst 
And so as the psalmist said all those years ago, how long, O Lord, how long? Our country too often is disheartened by school shootings, by division, by anger. And so like those people in the years prior to Jesus' birth, we hope, we wait, and we pray, wanting God to do something. But I want you to notice that in the midst of wondering whether anything is happening, whether God is doing something, in those days prior to Jesus' birth, something was happening. You just, you just couldn't see it. You see, in a far-off corner of the Roman Empire, in this little bitty town, there was an angel that was sent on a quiet mission to have a conversation with a young lady. In that same part of the world, much later on, there was a star in the sky that led wise men on a long journey. There were angels that appeared to shepherds. There was a lot going on, but you couldn't see it if you were in Rome, or in Alexandria, Egypt, or in other places across the globe. But God was doing something. You know, there's a passage that often is overlooked in the book of Galatians. Paul's got a lot going on in Galatians, and he's writing about how people are slipping back into Jewish faith when they don't need to do that. But in the fourth chapter of Galatians, Paul writes, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. When the set time had fully come. By the way, in the culture at the time, they would have understood that in this kind of a manner. Remember, you know, hourglasses where you have sand at the top and then the sand kind of trickles down to the bottom, right? The idea of the set time had fully come. The metaphor there is really of all of the sand going out of the top of the hourglass into the bottom of the hourglass. And so it's as if God is sitting there looking at the hourglass and he's waiting and he's watching the sand go down and he watches the sand go down and now all the sand is at the bottom and he says, okay, it's time. Now to those of us on earth, to those shepherds before the angels appeared, to those magi before the star led them to the manger, to young Mary before she had to visit from the angel. No one knew what was going on, but in God's time, the sand was going through the hourglass. And so this passage in Galatians and the entire notion that people were wanting God to do something prior to Jesus' birth suggests to me that we could take some things from this very notion that although we were waiting and hoping and praying, wondering, is anything happening? Oh, things are happening. And so I want to share three things with you about that. First of all, perhaps God is working in your life today, right now on the 11th of December, but you just can't see it. Maybe God really is doing something in your marriage. Maybe God is doing something with your kids that have left the church. Maybe God is doing something to strengthen your faith. You just can't see it yet. You know, so often we expect God to work in big, miraculous, head-turning ways. One of the people I work with at the university, her brother-in-law, had a major medical emergency that landed him in a coma. And the family gathered, and they were all talking about whether or not this particular person was going to make it, and... When do they make the difficult decision to remove the life support, and what do you do? And this went on for about two and a half weeks. And then all of a sudden, he just snapped out of it. 
And so as the family was in the waiting room, the, the doctor, the head physician, this individual who had been to medical school, been practicing medicine for years, burst through the doors, came into the waiting room, and he grabbed this man's wife, and he hugged her, and he said, it's a miracle. He'd come out of the coma, and he was practically healed. And I think sometimes we expect God to do that in our lives. We expect God to fix our marriages because we've prayed about it. We expect God to help our adult children along because we've prayed about it. We expect God to bring churches that are on the brink of death back from that state immediately and miraculously. And it's been my experience that oftentimes God's work is pretty mundane. It happens in the kitchen as a mom who's prayed for patience is a little more patient with her kids. It happens oftentimes when people that typically hung on to their money decide to begin to give it to good causes, like Church of Christ disaster relief. It happens when people walk through the doors of a church building like this one, even though they haven't been through a church door in years. That's pretty mundane. We don't see that oftentimes, but it's happening. You see, a lot of God's work happens on his timeline, not ours. It's his hourglass where the sand is falling to the bottom, not our hourglass. I have to remind you that it took God 400 years from Malachi to the birth of Christ for us to see what God was doing. It took over 300 years of crying in Egypt for God to send Moses to release his people from slavery. God waited several years in the time of the judges to raise up a deliverer like Samson or Jephthah or Deborah to help God's people overcome those difficulties. You know, for some reason, I've remembered certain lines from other preachers I've heard over the years. I can't explain it. I don't know why. But one of the lines I heard a preacher share years ago in some place I've long since forgotten goes like this. God isn't obligated to keep us updated on his work. He's not obligated. You see, somehow we've gotten into our heads that God owes us a timeline, that God is supposed to let us know what he's doing in our lives at all times. It's as if we expect God to give us this running play-by-play commentary. Okay, so just so you know, I'm working on your husband's heart so that he'll actually say he loves you more often and he'll apologize a little more frequently and he'll actually be a little more considerate. And you know, your, your grandchild, who seems to have wandered away from the church and the faith, her heart is softening. I'm bringing the right people into her life. Just be patient. Sometime next year, probably long about September 9th or so, that person will come back to church for the first time. God is not obligated to open up his schedule book and share with us what he's doing in our lives. If he didn't do it for the birth of his son incarnate on this earth, he's not likely to do it in our lives. Maybe God is working in your life. You just can't see it. And second, all of this makes me think this. In the midst of this, God gives us glimpses of his work in our life. Not the full picture, not the play-by-play commentary, but glimpses of it. You see, those shepherds in the field that night, when the angels appeared to them in the account we have in the Gospels, they got a glimpse of the work that God was doing. And I think that it's fair to say that the same is true of Mary and Joseph. Joseph got the vision and the dreams. Mary got the visit from Gabriel. Those are glimpses of what God is doing. In Luke chapter 2, when they take Jesus to the temple to be presented, 
Anna and Simeon say some things to these new parents that give us a glimpse of what Jesus will do in his earthly ministry. The fact of the matter is, if we're honest with ourselves, we can look back and say, yeah, you know what? God was working in my life. I couldn't see it at the time, but looking back on it, there were God's fingerprints. And now I know he was working. You don't think that the long, long, long line of people that were here on the night we did the trunk or treat is not a glimpse of what God is doing with Oak Crest in this community? Do you not think that Ronette's baptism do you not think the missionaries that are laboring in Croatia and Portugal and elsewhere, the reports we heard last month, you don't think those are glimpses of what God is doing? The people that have returned to this church building recently, you don't think those are glimpses of what God is doing? I think they are. And I think that reminds us that although we might want the whole picture, we might want to know exactly what God, God is doing, sometimes a glimpse has to be sufficient. Just a fleeting image just kind of a sense hey things are changing here and i think we have to be on our watch for that you know i said a moment ago that oftentimes i'll remember things that a preacher said years ago i admit it i'm also well i have a love-hate relationship with reader boards at churches <laughs> i love them because i think in some ways they could be inspiring and they could be encouraging and i've seen many of them but if I'm honest with you, I also don't like a lot of them because some of them are hokey. <laughs> and some of them, frankly, make Christians look really bad. <laughs> and that's why I really treasure what Oak Crest does, because as I've been here at Oak Crest for seven months now, I like the fact that our reader board is always just straightforward. Here's a scripture. Here's some information about what's going on. Nothing hokey, nothing silly, nothing off-putting. And I don't even know where I was. It was on one of my trips from Oklahoma back to Oregon when my wife and I kept a house out there. And I was in some small town in Wyoming or Colorado or Utah or Arizona. I don't even know where it was. But I remembered this reader board because I think it speaks truth. The reader board said, sometimes you have to squint to see God. And by the way, you squint to see God not because your eyesight is getting bad <laughs> or because you're too vain to wear glasses, but because God's work is squint-worthy. I'm not sure if that's a word but it is now. And the idea behind that sign on the reader board is that sometimes God's work is not overpoweringly obvious. It's in the background. It's low-key. It's glimpse-worthy. And so part of my prayer is that in your life, you are attuned to the glimpses that God is giving you, that something is going on. Or... As the songwriter said in the 1960s, something's happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. And third and finally, I think we have to realize that sometimes it takes a while for God's work to come to fruition. Sometimes it just takes time. You know, we rightly celebrate Jesus' birth. But we have to remember that from the time Jesus was born until the time he started his public ministry, it was 30 years. It was 30 years of Jesus just growing up. 30 years of Jesus just being a son to Joseph and Mary. 30 years of learning the carpentry trade. 30 years of getting the lay of the land. Essentially, 30 years of waiting and anticipation. And that suggests to me that maybe what God has started to do in your life just takes a while to come to fruition. 
You know, sometimes you have to realize that things you say to your grandkids or to your adult children, it just takes a while, a while for them to sink in. It just takes a little time for that stuff to percolate. Look, I work with college students. <laughs> I say things to them all the time, and at the moment, it just goes right over their head, or they're not paying attention. But if I had a dollar for every time one of my former students came back to me and said, Hey, Brian, when you said this my sophomore year of college, I've always remembered it, and it's been a blessing. If I just had $1 for every time I've heard that, I could buy this half of the auditorium lunch at Taco Bell. <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, it's seed planting. I mean, the people that are working with, the people that have met our missionaries in Croatia and Portugal, we haven't yet seen their work come to fruition. We don't know yet who among the Portuguese are going to be baptized. We don't know who in Croatia are going to be baptized. But I suspect that some are. It just has to come to fruition. Oftentimes our faith that we want to grow so desperately, it grows incrementally, not in a revolutionary manner. You know, it's kind of like uh, another one of the guys I work with. He is quite proud that he's from Texas. But the fact of the matter is he's not really from Texas. He's oftentimes said, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got there as soon as I could. <laughs> and to him, he would tell you that his Texanness had to come to fruition. Maybe the best way to put it is to say it this way. You know, maybe God's work in our life is like cooking a turkey not like a can of soup. Would you cook a turkey in a microwave? On Thanksgiving Day, would you say, hey, I'm gonna cook this five or six pound turkey, I'm gonna jam it in the microwave and cook that thing. See, microwaves are well known for cooking things quickly, you know? I can heat up a can of chili in the microwave, I can put a hot dog in the microwave, I can put some leftovers in the microwave, and in just a minute or two, presto, I've got some food. But to cook a turkey, you don't put it in the microwave. You put it in a convention oven or some kind of a deep fryer if you're really adventurous. But at the end of the day, it takes a while to cook a full turkey. And so sometimes they think that's how our life is. And what I mean by that is sometimes it just takes a while for God's work to come to fruition. Could God snap his fingers such that someone who hears a Portuguese missionary becomes baptized on the spot? Of course he could. But more often than not, it takes a while. Could God fix marriages in a moment? Of course he could. But sometimes it takes a while. Could God bring back those that have wandered away immediately? Of course he could. But sometimes it just takes a while. You see, for me, whatever else is going on in December, in the run-up to the celebration of the birth of Jesus, the story of Jesus' birth reminds me, reminds us, that God is often at work in our life but we can't see it. And so I want to remind you of that this morning. In the midst of all the hoopla, the shopping and the wrapping and the Christmas programs and all of it, I just want to remind you that if you're desperate for God to do something in your life, don't give up on him. Don't think he's forgotten you. Don't give up hope, but realize that maybe, just maybe, God is working in your life. You can't see it. You might get glimpses of it, and it might take a while for it to come to fruition. You might have to squint. But wow, I choose to believe 
that God, in partnership with you, through the mystery of the Holy Spirit, is actually working in your life. And so, if like my family when we were younger, if you've got one of those calendars where you open up the little door each day in December, when you open up that little door for the rest of this month, let that be a reminder to you that God is doing something in your life, even if you can't see it. And so this morning, if you think that God is doing something in your life that has prompted you to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to have this church family pray with you and over you about your life, if you'd like to join this church family, or if we can just be a blessing to you in any way, we carve out time each Sunday morning to make space for that to happen. In a moment, Kyle is going to lead us in a song that talks about the blood of Jesus, which, for those that are not used to it, might sound a little odd, but it speaks to the centerpiece of our faith, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what allows us to be freed from our sins and to be in right standing with God. And so we're going to sing that in a moment, and if we can be a blessing to you, one of our shepherds will be down here in the front, another will be out in the lobby, whatever's more comfortable for you. But if God is working in your life, maybe today, the 11th of December, is the day when you act on what God is doing. So let's stand together as a church family and sing.